You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Um, I'm going to share you a little shame story myself. I didn't have this in the, here at first, but I thought maybe this is a good illustration of it. I used to, um, I was a thespian, okay? I know you got to say that right. So I was in a lot of plays and musicals and things like that. And um, <clears throat> when I was, <laughs> not as good as these guys over here, man, I think uh, I need to go see, you got to see them when they're in action, okay? Let me tell you. But um, anyways, in high school, I was in debates, and I was in speech. We called it forensics. I don't know why it was called forensics in Michigan. And um, so I was in, I think it was extemporaneous uh, speaking, which is you got a topic, you had five minutes to plan it and get up and speak. That was a competition. That was one of the types of competition. And so I decided to do extemporaneous speaking. And I got up, and I don't remember what the topic was. And I start talking. I get done with it. There's a crowd about this size listening to me. And at the end, the judges, there were three judges in the back, and the one said, by the way, your zipper's down. I don't remember anything else. They probably don't remember anything else. That was a shame moment. Do you understand that? Embarrassing. Now, I could get over that pretty quickly. And it wasn't anything I actually did. Well, maybe I didn't check. But, but it's really nothing wrong. It's just you can have shame affect you when it has nothing to do anything with anything. It's not the same as guilt. Okay, They do go together often. They do overlap. You are still smiling about that, Kyle. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you where it was like, no? The zipper thing, no? Anybody else have the zipper thing happen to them? OK, OK. So it's not just, yeah, OK. Um, wardrobe malfunction, big time, right? But um, so this series, so it can be that. That's not quite the kind of shame that we're going to be looking at mostly in this series. The kind that we're looking at in this series is more the chronic, hidden feelings that we get that don't seem to get resolved easily. I mean, that was a simple fix, right? Just go, whoop, there, okay, I'm done. Next situation, nobody knows about it. Nobody needs to know about it. But the shame that we experience often in our society and that we have felt sometimes it just feels like you can't get rid of. So we're starting today, and we're going to explain how you are covered, but not with a plastic or paper bag. But you are covered with the glory, the honor, the prestige of Jesus Christ himself. And you are royalty. You are beautiful. You are splendid. You're going to shine like the stars someday. And right now, it might not seem like it, but that's your destiny and your direction. That's what it means to have the status of being the children of God. You are being given everything that Jesus has and has had from eternity as your gift. So that's kind of behind it. I probably could just stop there, but um, we're going to get into this a little more. Um, so why even, 
cover shame. I think Werner Mischke in his book, he calls it the global gospel in his book. The global gospel, he says, the majority of the world deals with honor and shame all the time. And he says this, the longing for honor and the struggle to avoid shame are universal. Individuals and families, kinship groups and communities, peoples and nations all endure the pathologies of shame and the struggle for honor. Whether the issue is sexual abuse and trafficking, HIV, AIDS, racism or slavery, mental illness, disabilities of various kinds, ethnic cleansing, the identity challenges of refugees and immigrants, the perpetual passions of tribalism or nationalism, or simply the ubiquitous competitive pursuit for greater social status, Honor and shame are central to the human condition. So shame is kind of behind most of the conflicts in the world. This week, if you do, you don't have to. I'm not telling you you got to look at the news. But if you do, and if you just notice, um, or if you're working and you notice in the office or in the classroom, just see if you see the honor-shame dynamics going on. Okay. Uh, on the sports field this afternoon, football, it's all about honor and shame. It's not about... She, that's what, why we cheer, why we celebrate, why, why I love being a fan of the winning team and how I will diss the losing team and walk away from it. By the way, I think um, we had a student, I'm going to name him, he's not here today. Uh, Grant last week went to the game, the Dolphins against Denver Broncos. And what was he wearing? A Denver Bronco jersey. <laughs> Humiliation has a new name. 70 to 20. One of the highest scoring games in all of the NFL. That is shame. And feeling like, well, he's decided he's gotten rid of the jersey. He's putting them away. He's going to burn them. You know, no. Don't think he'll burn them. But he's going to not pull them out for a couple of years. That's shame. He doesn't want to be covered with that jersey right now. So that's why we're dealing with it, because we all deal with it. Whether we can recognize it or not, whether we can verbalize it or not, and maybe because we can't always verbalize it, that feeling just lingers like a bad burrito. <laughs> so we're going to read in the uh, scroll of Genesis, um, chapter 2, in a little of chapter 3. And by the way, um, in the original, there was no chapter divisions and no verse divisions. And I have a feeling whoever decided this, and we don't even know when these things took place. They just are there, and they're universal now. But I think the last verse of chapter 2, verse 25, should be in the story of chapter 3. Okay? So this is what we read. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field of the Lord that the Lord God had made. Notice the contrast right there. These two next to each other. The man and woman were naked and not ashamed. They were open, vulnerable. The serpent, crafty. Okay. Now he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So from this text, we're going to learn what shame is and how it came to be, how shame cascades into more issues in our lives, or can, and how shame is actually covered. Okay? So shame, what is? What is shame? Shame is not nakedness, although when you feel ashamed today, you feel like you're almost naked, right? You feel vulnerable and open. But in this opening chapters of Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve, before they try to grasp God's status for their own, and were content with their status as creatures of God, they were naked and not ashamed. It isn't a result of just exposure, but it's exposure as a result of judgment that you have almost against yourself. So what we think, I think, that we're seeing here is that the origin of shame in the Bible is right here. We see shame is a result when Adam and Eve tried to take a status and cross a boundary that was not theirs. Claiming something for themselves and then realizing, attempting to have something good, which was wisdom in this text, but on their own terms, so that they could control the wisdom themselves, that they didn't need God, they didn't need to be in a relationship to God. And as a result, they got into a place, uh, in a sense, too high for their pay grade. They were not God. And have you ever had the imposter syndrome before? Where you feel like, why am I here? I don't really belong. I get that all the time, by the way, in front of the classroom. It's like they call me Dr. Roth, and I'm teaching, and I'm going like, I don't think I probably know any more than they do on this. Right? Imposter syndrome, when you feel like you're in a position that you're above the status that you think maybe you should have and you doubt yourself. Well, that happened to them in the garden. And they felt weak and exposed and flawed. So it says in Genesis 3, 7 and 8, then the eyes of both were open, they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. Okay? Even after this, when uh, I could have continued the story in Genesis 3, when God does come to them and cries out, where are you? And they finally come out of hiding. Adam, who has now fig leaf clothing on, says, well, we knew we were naked, and so we were afraid and we hid. And it's like, um, you're not naked. You're actually clothed. But he still felt that nakedness, that exposure. And he was afraid of what God would say about him. So um, Gershon Kaufman, I think, has a good understanding of what shame is. He says, shame is a wound felt from the inside. The clothing is already on the outside, but inside it, Adam felt it, dividing us both from ourselves and from one another. 
So it's different than guilt. Guilt and shame work together, but guilt is different. Guilt, when I do something wrong, I feel bad about it most of the time, at least when I'm caught, right? But, um, it, but I can think of a remedy for that often. I can make up for it in some way. I can seek forgiveness. I've got some type of way to make amends, but with shame, shame, you get this intense feeling of being flawed. So how do I change my being flawed? Not what I did, but what I'm, who I am. Um, being wrong, being caught. So this is why um, Brene Brown, who's probably one of the chief shame researchers around, right? She puts it this way. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging, the fear of disconnection. Somehow we don't belong. Somehow we're not wanted. Somehow if I let myself be known to you, you're gonna reject me. It's a huge amount of self-doubt and we're like inspecting ourselves. Nobody else needs to inspect you, you just inspect yourself and go like Don't you feel that sometimes? Yeah. Um, it, this is a problem. Here's why I wanted to really talk about it, too. I think shame keeps people out of the church more than almost anything else. It's not that they did things wrong. It's the fact that what happens if I walk through those, do I, they think somehow, in some way, they're going to be rejected. Sadly, there have been times it happens that they're not welcomed and embraced that they're not wanted. For some reason, they think, well, I'm not dressed. You know, you can feel shame just by the way that you dress. Have you ever gone somewhere and it's like you walk in and it's like, oh my goodness, I am so underdressed for this occasion. Yeah, no, I have. Or have you ever walked in and you go like, I'm the only one wearing a suit and tie, <laughs> right? I don't see anybody with a suit and tie this morning. But that could happen to somebody who'd walk in here and all dressed up or with a, you know, with a tux on. We'd all kind of like, hmm. It's amazing. But for a lot of people, it's not the reason why they get disconnected from church is because they're ashamed to come back after being disconnected for a few weeks. They're afraid of what people will say. They want to hide. And that is a classic response. When you are ashamed, Adam and Eve, you want to hide. You hide. Even from the one who could heal you. Even from the one who was so good, he comes and pursues you, God. Here's a few other words. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. But when people were des described what shame feels like, they said things like this, a feeling of being dirty, defiled, unwanted. Um, myself feeling diminished. Fear, feeling found out. A sense of deep embarrassment. Not being enough. Being wrong without knowing why. That's the thing. Shame is so hard to overcome because we don't even know what to do with it or where, how to, to deal with it. And the best thing we can do, we think, is to avoid, to hide, to walk away. And at times, I think that's appropriate. You might need to kind of 
go away for a moment, lick your wounds, get over it. The problem is it can become chronic. It can become just a way of being rather than a momentary feeling. And you might also, but John, um, I have known some shameless people in this world that just seem to flaunt and be proud of just hang, doing whatever, and who cares what anybody else, have you ever noticed anybody like that ever that's just really shameless? They're really not. They're really not. It's just another layer, another cover for feeling pretty darn shamed inside, but they just want to act like it's not a big deal. And yes, it can almost result in psych, you know, a social, sociopaths are shameless. They've gotten to the point of not caring about anybody or anything and feeling good about themselves is the only thing that matters. That's not you, and that's not what you want. And we don't want that. There are places where there's appropriate shame. I think the zipper situation is one of those. You know, yeah, it'd be good to keep that, you know, up in public, right? You, there's propriety that's important, but um, shame keeps me from certain things that are good. But it's not the faux pas in life that we're talking about here in Genesis chapter 3. Shame in this series is that chronic, toxic shame so you never feel you're worthy even when God has said that over you. Now, how does shame cascade into more issues? Like I said, it's a boundary violation often. It's when I step over the line, I do something that I'm not, I, I get to, ooh, I shouldn't have, or ooh, I'm not, it, I, I've some way. But it doesn't stop with that boundary. Shame moves really quick to covering up in one form or another. Now, some scholars and therapists have shown uh, four compass points, this little illustration here, of shame. And so we see here in this text immediately the avoidance one, well, no, the, the withdrawal one, isolating oneself, running and hiding. Adam and Eve do that. But the avoidance one is trying to deny, it's kind of like the fig leaves. They're kind of covering up in something that's not that effective. But others, you can see in society, they might abuse drugs or alcohol or distract through thrill-seeking or some other way. Or I think avoidance is also that shameless behavior of just not saying, I don't care what anybody thinks. Here in this text, though, it goes even further. And you might not know what shame looks like in people's lives until you realize um, what Michael Lewis says about it. Shame is like a subatomic particle. One's knowledge of shame is often limited to the trace it leaves. So you see these traces of shame when you see how people treat others. So here, Adam and Eve, what's their first response to being called out, in a sense, by God? Not in a bad way. God just wants to know, are you okay? And Adam says, the woman you gave me. Shame turns to blame. Attack somebody else. Do you know people who are always attacking other people? There's shame behind that. And even Eve, oh, it's the devil who made me do it, you know. The serpent gave it to me. 
avoidance of responsibility, attacking someone else, attacking the system, that's part of it. Also, it can be the fact that you finally turn in on yourself. There are people who attack themselves and fall into a cycle of shame. Um, the rest of the Bible deals with this. For instance, the, um, the story after this, Genesis 4, is Cain and Abel. And it's not just a story of a murder, Cain killing his brother, but it's a story of shame and dishonor or feeling dishonored. When Cain offers his sacrifice, God does not accept it right away. And immediately Cain gets angry and it says his face fell. Do you know what that's a sign of? Fallen face? Shame. It's when somebody can't look up, when you feel down, when you feel dis not just discouraged, but somehow something's wrong. And God says, hey, watch out. Sin is crouching at your door. You can overcome this. This can be worked out, but Cain decides not. And he attacks his brother, kills him. And then he gets upset with God. Then he turns on himself and says, I am so cursed. I'm terrible. What's going to happen to me? And then he tries to protect himself with the city. You could find all four compass points in that second story of shame in the Bible. And the rest of the Bible actually, all the stories of the Bible could have actually be summarized, I think, <laughs> I've all, uh, with Romans 3.23, short, simple sentence, but this is a story of humanity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, do you know what the word glory is? Doxa in Greek really means honor, status, the opposite of shame. It's the opposite of shame. It's the honor God has been. God had given to Adam and Eve, to humanity, the glorious status and position of being his image bearers, the one who would reflect his goodness and glory to the world. You cannot find anywhere else in all of creation anything that is given that status. In fact, that's why some have thought that the serpent, <laughs> one of the... Uh, whom we know later as, you know, the accuser, the devil himself, who was some type of an angelic created being, is like, why are you giving these mud creatures, these people you've made out of the dirt of the field, the lowest status I can think of? I'm the celestial being. I should be in charge. Jealousy. And he wants to bring them dishonor. And ever since, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God again and again and again. Okay. So, how do we break that cycle? I'll tell you one way not to. There is a same shame cycle. And that is, um, you can see it from uh, in people's lives. In my life, I can see it as well. Um, you're having a good day, and you think, oh, you know, like if you're really thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to lose weight. I've got like you're you're shooting on yourself that you've got to be better than you are. First of all, that also is a shame kind of thing going on right there. I should be this. I should be that. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Okay, well, you know that food looks kind of good, so I'm going to have a little bite. 
And then, um, why can't I stop eating? And then all of a sudden, we feel shame over the fact that we're breaking. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm just so terrible. And then you label yourself. And then you feel even worse. And then you try to restrict again. And you feel good for a little bit. And then you're back and start the cycle all over again. But this time around, it's probably even harder. And there's a lingering shame through the cycle again and again and again. We can't, with Adam and Eve, they tried to cover their shame, right? With what? Fig leaves. How long did that last? Shrivel up in a day. That's what happens when we try to cover our own shame, try to gain our own status back, try to figure it out ourselves. It just ain't going to last. But in Genesis, we find out later in the story, I don't have this Bible verse in here. Sorry, I forgot to put this one in. It says that God then came to them and gave them animal skins to wear to cover their shame. Now, you might think this is just a side note, but it's like, why in the world animal skins, and what does that mean? What we find in this section is we find out already in Genesis 3 how God is going to cover their shame, what it costs to cover their shame, and how it's pointing towards the future of what he's going to really do ultimately. So God gives them animal skins. He knew all of creation. I think he could have woven together a cotton fabric that would have worked well, you know, something stylish. But it deliberately, I think, shows already in Genesis 3 that blood is going to be spilled to cover our shame. A sacrifice was made, and God is willing to sacrifice for you to give up part of his beautiful creation for you. And in the Old Testament, you will find um, in the books of uh, Exodus, Numbers, um, Deuteronomy, and especially Leviticus, time and again, God had set up a system to cover up the shame of the people, the dishonor, the lack of status, so they could enter into the holy of holies in the presence of God. In fact, last week on Monday was Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. It's one of seven festivals, the holiest of the seven festivals in the Jewish calendar um, in the Old Testament in the book of the Torah. And it's an unusual festival in the sense that it's not based on a historic event. Like the Passover, it's about the exodus out of Egypt. Tabernacles, it's them in the wilderness and the giving of the law at Sinai. But this one happens every year. And it's to cover the sins of the people that year, but also their shame. And so what happens? There's one goat that the priest lays his hands on, the high priest, and is then sent out into the wilderness called the scapegoat to take away the shame of the people. And another spotless lamb 
whose blood is, uh, he is sacrificed, this lamb, and the blood is taken by the priest only one time a year where he can enter into the holy of holies of God and be in the full presence of God and only as he covers the Ark of the Covenant with that blood. Every year it's a reminder that another sacrifice is made to cover God's people. And every year... It needs to be done. All the other celebrations were about things that were accomplished and finished and complete. This one is not finished, not complete. I think you realize, I've brought it up, that the cross that the Romans perfected was the most humiliating, shameful death they could think of because it was done in public. It wasn't done behind the scenes. It was done to a human being and stripped them naked bare so they were fully exposed. I know we have all these pictures and paintings of Jesus in the Middle Ages with a loincloth on of some, sorry, not trying to blow it away, but a crucifixion was to be absolutely the most humiliating thing that would ever face anyone so that the human being was treated like an insect and you wanted to wipe out their entire memory and their whole dignity from anyone so that nobody would ever violate whatever they did to get there. What's amazing about Jesus upon the cross is he is exposed naked and filled with our shame when he should be unashamed of anything that he ever did. And there are two thieves on the cross that both, by the way, insult him. It's like, how low can you go when two others who are being crucified and executed at the same time kick you down even further? Do you understand that? He's stripped of all honor. He's crowned with thorns. He's humiliated beyond um, human recognition to take your shame, the great exchange. He gives you his glory. He gives you his honor. He gives you his name. He gives you his status with the Father. He gives you everything that he can. He pours it all out and hands it all over to you, and he takes our shame, our place, and it is covered. And he cries out, it is finished, no more. You know, when people tell you, don't worry what other people think of you, it sounds like good advice, right? It's never worked for me. <laughs> I don't, why? Because why shouldn't I care what other people think? I mean, they don't give you a reason. They just tell you not to, right? But when God says, you're covered. Don't worry what anybody else thinks of you. This is what I believe about you, what I have said for you, what I have done for you. It's not just an idea. It's a reality. Because I'm giving you honor. I am blessing you. My face is smiling upon you. You have the greatest status there could ever be. There is nothing about you that I'm ashamed of. Don't be ashamed yourself. Now, as we continue this series this month, 
Um, we're going to, there's no uh, one Sunday where I can kind of hit everything about shame, everything you need to know and how we experience, because like I've said, it's a status, it can happen to you when you've done nothing wrong. In this instance, we've talked about Adam and Eve and the violation of this boundary, but we can talk about how Job experienced shame for nothing that he did, or how in the Psalms, uh, different people talk about their shame or dishonor, and it's all how they were violated or treated, not about themselves. So we're going to explore this in different ways, but I want you to come back to this point, I think, um, John Beeson probably says it better than anyone. He says, a shamed friend, look to the shamed one on the cross and know his shame was for you. He, his shame was so that you might not be ashamed, that his welcome would overcome the world's rejection. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time together and for this series. And um, you know where... All of us have experienced shame in our lives where we might be still carrying that feeling, that stigma, that um, nameless, shapeless thing that still holds us back where we doubt our worthiness before you. But you have called us worthy, Lord. You have died for us. There is no greater honor that we could ever have than what you've done, Lord Jesus. And you bestow on us the right to be children, heirs, co-heirs with you. There is no greater status we could ever have, no amount of wealth, no amount of glory, no amount of fame this world could give that comes even close to what you give to us freely because you love us. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would um, forgive us when we doubt you on this. Forgive us when we, well, when we um, question or don't let sink in the gospel of your grace. Yes, we have sinned. We have fallen short of your glory time and again, Lord God. But that's not how Romans 3 ends. But we are saved by grace through faith as a gift from God and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are justified. We are glorified in you, Lord Jesus. We are going to be conformed to your image throughout life, and you are bringing us to completion. That is the reality. Help us to live in that, Lord. Yes, if we'd say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth wouldn't be in us. But as we confess our sins, you forgive us. You cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is not a spot or blemish on us anymore. We are able to look at you and be radiant because you shine your goodness and blessing on us. We thank you for all of that. We pray, Lord, for those who are facing uh, difficulties in this life, for those who feel uh, kicked down and excluded, for anyone who would feel ashamed in some way or another to walk into this fellowship, Lord. We pray that instead uh, you would give us such, um, such an ability to welcome everyone, Lord, that they would know that, 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 that they are honored in your eyes, that they are wanted, that they belong here, Lord, and belong with you. So for all these things, Lord, we lift them up to you today. We pray, Lord, that you would be... Um, with us as we now continue in our, uh, in our worship today, in our service, where 
we're going to offer to you uh, just a small token of what you've done for us, just a thank offering, Lord, for what you've done. It's all yours. We ask that you'd use our tithes and offerings to uh, spread the honor and glory of your name and the glory that you've given us, Lord, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, too, that you would prepare our hearts to receive the honor of your presence, that you would be enthroned in our hearts and lives as we receive the Lord's Supper today. All this we pray in your name, dear Jesus. Amen.